Welcome in. Good to have you. Lots to do today once again. Let's get right to it. I've been telling you how silly House Republicans look in Washington, D.C. The egg, the proverbial egg on the face of House Republicans in Washington, D.C. It is absolute nonsense what has been going on. You can't get Steve Scalise to get the votes. You can't get Jim Jordan to get the votes. You oust Kevin McCarthy with no backup plan. And the, G- the, the GOP in the House is just floundering. There was supposed to be another vote today. Jim Jordan was expected to call that vote to the House floor. And the expectation was, just like yesterday, he was going to lose support from the vote just the day before. And that has been a real bugaboo for not only Jim Jordan, not only Steve Scalise, but they just, the, 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 the conference can't come together and unify to elect a speaker. Now, Republicans held a closed-door meeting at 11 o'clock this morning. And there were several Jordan critics, according to reports, stating that they had gotten credible threats because they did not vote for him to be the Speaker of the House. Jordan, meanwhile, condemning those threats, but the damage is done. At that point, if you're being threatened, I can't imagine you're going to want to vote for that, that candidate. Meanwhile, you've got the Biden administration and an official within that administration resigning from the State Department, saying that he's leaving his post because of President Biden's announcement to support Israel and the financial announcements that come from that. Josh Paul worked in the State Department's Bureau of Political Military Affairs, and he said he cannot work as the U.S. helps Israel in its war against Hamas. Now, Paul, in his duties as a member of the political affairs uh, department inside the, the State Department, was responsible for transferring key arms to American allies. He posted his resignation letter on LinkedIn saying continued lethal assistance to Israel is what prompted his decision to leave. Quote, I cannot work in support of a set of major policy decisions including rushing more arms to one side of the conflict that I believe will be short-sighted, destructive, unjust, and contradictory to the very values that we publicly espouse. He went on to say, I believe to the core of my soul that the response Israel is taking and with it the American support for that response and for the status quo of the occupation will only lead to more deeper suffering for both Israel and the Palestinian people and is not in the long-term interest of the American people. Also, according to a new Pentagon report, China has blown past previous expectations and projections of the size of its nuclear arsenal. And they are now producing even more weapons while expanding their Navy at at an unbelievable clip. The Defense Department specifically believes China had more than 500 nuclear warheads in its arsenal as of May, roughly 100 more than the same time last year, and that will likely double to more than 1,000 nuclear warheads in the next six years. The report also comes as the Biden administration getting uh, getting ready for a potential face-to-face meeting between the president and Chinese leader Xi Jinping, in California next month. 
The Pentagon has also declassified a number of videos and images showing an uptick in Chinese fighter jet harassing U.S. military aircrafts in the South and East China Sea this year. So uh, this is what I've been talking about. Now, the president's supposed to speak tonight from the Oval Office. You'll hear it here on WJR at 8 o'clock. But the idea that in this case, not only are we dealing with Russia and Ukraine, now the United States getting involved in sending aid or munitions to Israel, but but we have seen an uptick in Chinese hostilities towards American aircrafts over international waters in the, the South China Sea. So it's just something worth watching. We've seen military experts point to the fact that China is going to be making a move on Taiwan probably within the next 18 or 12 to 18 months. I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but that's what they are saying. That's why I maintain this is a very important time for the United States and our military interest and our our allied uh, uh, relationships all over the world. Meanwhile, as the conflict continues to rage in Israel and Gaza, there is evidence that Hamas militants likely use some North Korean weapons on its attack on Israel on October 7th. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us with more on that story. Hello, Marie. Hi, Chris. A disturbing development for sure. President Biden and Secretary of State Antony Blinken have both been emphatic that foreign actors need to stay out of the conflict that has erupted between Israel and Gaza. Now there is evidence that there was involvement by North Korea in that Hamas attack indirectly. According to militant video seized by Israel, Hamas fighters appear to be firing North Korean weapons during the assault that left hundreds of Israeli civilians dead. Specifically, these weapons captured were Pyongyang's F-7 rocket-propelled grenades. It's a shoulder-fired weapon that is primarily used against armored vehicles. Rocket-propelled grenade launchers fire a single warhead that can be quickly reloaded. One weapons expert says this F-7 has been documented in Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, and the Gaza Strip. It's believed these weapons have been provided by Iran to militant groups, and this is believed to be the primary way by which Palestinian militants have come to possess these North Korean weapons. Chris, the video was reviewed by South Korean officials independent weapons experts, as well as the Associated Press. Well, there have been long-standing relations between Iran and North Korea, and they have exchanged military expertise. They've uh, been in in cahoots in special operations and training, uh, and, and certainly uh, I, I don't think it's a surprise the fact that somehow Hamas ends up with weapons that is used in North Korea. Uh, I, 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 I think it's quite obvious, although not official, that Iran played a big role in this Hamas attack. And, and I think you can perhaps connect the dots how, how they ended up with weapons from North Korea. Marie, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, as we continue to cover this story from all angles, there is, I think, an uptick in cybersecurity needs for a number of facilities and potential targets 
all across the United States. Should those companies be more on alert, not only for a a potential physical attack, but a cybersecurity attack as well? We will talk about that next on JR Afternoon. Coming up at 248, we're going to talk to Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard. Because I think the the alert for potential physical attacks on, for example, places of worship is is up. And the president has even talked about making sure that U.S. intelligence is staying diligent in, in, in attempting to thwart those potential attacks, whether they are uh, uh, serious or not. But there's another side of protection as well, and, and it's it's cybersecurity. And specifically with this conflict going on, how important is it to make sure that we are secure on that side of the fence as well? Uh, We've talked to him many times. He joins us again, former Michigan governor and now current CEO of Sensei, Rick Snyder. Good to hear from you. Uh, Great. I I think that we do forget oftentimes, especially when we're watching the news, when we're perusing social media – you know, you, you see the loss of life. You see the physical impacts of of this war going on in Israel and in Gaza. But but there are so many other ways that we need to make sure that whether they're businesses or places of worship, that, that people are being protected on all fronts. And that certainly includes cybersecurity. How important is that aspect of this conflict now maybe more than ever? And I... Yeah, it's good you reinforced. And not only that is, this is October is actually Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so we should be talking more anyway. These kind of double downing need to be more attuned for attacks and the the security issues out there. Um, if you look at it, you can go to the Ukraine-Russian conflict, uh, but also with Israel and Hamas. Uh, there's been a major increase in terms of cyber activity, cyber attacks going in both directions. And that's not going to slow down. Uh, so particularly even in our country, we need to be more attuned to our infrastructure, you know, our utilities, our uh, public institutions that could be subject to attack. Also, religious institutions could be subject to attack. So this is where it's really important to be proactive about having a, an act about preventing cyber attacks as opposed to being passive about it or just believing you're small enough, you're not going to get hit. And so when somebody comes to Sensei and says, what, you know, what do we do here? How, what, what kind of protection do we need? How secure do we need to be? What's the, what's the, the, the reference for them? How, how do you go about that? Yeah, our starting point, and we specialize in small and medium-sized organizations because they're the fastest-growing category of target. Um, because they have, they don't have the resources to protect themselves. And about 90% of cyber attacks are successful because of humans, not just technology. So we provide around service where for simply monthly fee, we actually work with them to increase what we call their Sensei score, their cyber health score. So one thing that any we do free is they can go get a cybersecurity assessment uh, by going to our website and clicking on get a Sensei score. It's 39 questions. It's an interactive discussion for a half hour, collects a hundred and some data points and is best National Institute of Standards and Technology best practice framework. What's funded by the federal government, but we actually do it in English mm. and then help people uh, see where they stand 
and it gives you a score like your credit score. So just like 800 is a good credit score, if you're 800 or better in our scoring system, uh, you're in pretty good shape. If you're 5 to 800, uh, you've recognized cybersecurity and you got work to do. If you're below 500, you're in serious trouble mm. and you should be doing something. So with it being the, 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 the Cybersecurity Awareness Month and the fact that I, you know, I've, I've been maintaining since the start of this conflict in, in Israel, or I suppose the reboot of this conflict in Israel, um, you know, we're, we're still dealing with the, as you mentioned, Russia and Ukraine. Now we're seeing this between Israel and Hamas and 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 potentially Hezbollah. And 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 it feels like we're almost also being pulled in the direction of Taiwan at some point. And it, it, it almost feels like this is a very serious time in, in which you don't want as a, you know, medium sized business or a small business is you don't want the United States to take their eye off of not only the the physical potential of of war or the ability for the United States to aid in in some of these conflicts. But from a a cybersecurity standpoint, it's so important to to also pay attention to that, too. Are we entering kind of a heightened state of alert uh, as as these conflicts continue to rage? Uh, It's only growing and uh, it's not going to improve. Uh, the way I describe cybersecurity to people is it's a chronic condition. Uh, so there's no cure. It doesn't, you, you can't make it go away. What you can do is protect yourself better. And that's why uh, it's really important to do good cyber practices, strong passwords, uh, two-factor authentication, those texts you get to your phone to verify it's you, uh, never reuse a password. There's a whole series of discussions just talking through the half dozen or a dozen things uh, individuals should be doing to protect themselves. But small organizations, uh, particularly, uh, you know, government and schools are being attacked. Look at the first three days of uh, the University of Michigan classes this year where the university was shut down because of a cyber attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pervasive. So what I recommend to people is don't ignore the issue. Get on top of it. Be proactive and you can sleep a whole lot better. And at what point do people feel secure? Is there a certain level of protection where people feel like they're secure? Or is there always that that threat of 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 being infiltrated? How, how do you know the line for somebody uh, when when enough is enough? Yeah, it's more common sense than anything, because yeah. you cannot be safe. No one is safe in the world. You can be safer. That's, again, going back to how we do a sensei score for people. If you're 800, just like your credit score, you should be able to sleep pretty good. Yeah. Uh, if you're less than that, it means you've got work to do. If you're really low, uh, may the force be with you if you're not doing something. <laughs> uh, also, uh, before we let you go, uh, there's a big football game this weekend. Do you have any thoughts you want to weigh in? <laughs> Obviously, I'm biased. I'm yeah. famous for that, and it's called Go Blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I think you might be onto something there. Uh, Rick Snyder, the CEO of Sensei, of course, former governor of the state of Michigan. Thank you so much. Look forward to talking with you again very soon. Uh, it's great to be with you, and uh, let's not forget, let's go Lions. Everybody That's right. Oh, my goodness. Guys. <laughs> Take care. It's, it's, a, it's a good time to be a football fan in the state of Michigan uh, as long as you support the Honolulu Blue and Silver and uh, – and and the maize and blue no doubt yep uh thank you sir appreciate it we'll talk soon uh by the way speaking of the lions uh rick snyder brought up a uh he brought up the lions 
Do you like these new helmets there, David? I These blue helmets, they're blue. And then it's got the old school Lions logo, the very slender looking lion. And then the two bars, the silver and, and blue bar uh, behind it. You like that logo? I am a fan of that logo. I don't know if I'm a fan of the of the matte finish that they have on the helmet. Okay. But I do like the logo. That is a cool logo. Yeah, I like the logo. I'm a big fan of matte helmets as well. Okay. So now they're wearing them. They're wearing them for practice. Wearing them for practice now. Okay. They're wearing them for practice now. They they will wear them in a game. Which game are they going to be? Uh, is that Thanksgiving? Uh, or something, week maybe? eight, Monday night football oh, against the Raiders. Yes. Oh. And okay. I think they have to wear them with their all grays. Okay. So the all gray uniforms with the blue helmets. See the, the see the 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 cool the cool out the cool uniforms the Lions had were the the all silver helmets with the with the black um the black jerseys. I think. Yep. That was that was a good look. I like that. I I think they got a pretty clean look right now. I think there there were reports that I they were maybe considering a a a, a facelift to their uniforms. Okay. Um. But I I I think I saw they just redid the, the actual lion uh, recently. Well, they did it just a couple of years ago. Right. Um. So yeah, they they're, they're they're talking about that too. But it is it's a very good time to be a a, a fan of Michigan and. And the Lions. What, Lions, what, what Lions, is this? Lions getting a lot of national attention. As them. they should. They're the best team in the NFL. Um, what What are you, uh, what's this thing? I'll tell you what. We'll do it on the other side. There's some breaking news about Michigan football. Oh, yeah, this is, this, this uh, Dave's not, been yeah. peacocking around here for a couple of minutes. I'm like, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know about this. I agree with you. I'm not sure. I feels, if, if I'm, if I were a conspiracy theorist. Uh, perhaps I I would have a take on this, um, considering the NCAA is already investigating Michigan football. But we'll tell you what that is uh, coming up next. Also, we'll get to your phone calls. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. couple of thoughts on the... Vote for the next Speaker of the House. It looks like Jim Jordan is stepping aside because he's not going to have the votes. They were supposed to have another vote today. It didn't end up going through. And now it sounds like Jim Jordan is going to support giving Patrick McHenry, who's the Speaker pro tem, some expanded power so that they can conduct some business. Because right now, they they can't. And partly, mostly, because the Republicans don't have their uh, their affairs in order. And they just can't come to an agreement on who should be the next Speaker of the House. Um, also, I, I still have yet to really receive a, a rational explanation about... Why the state of Israel and the Jewish people are somehow to blame for all of this, especially the uh, the ongoing bombardment and attacks on on the Gaza Strip. Now, I, I want to read you some numbers here. This is a poll. An NB, an NPR PBS Marist poll. The percentage of people 
who say that the U.S. government should publicly support Israel. You ready, Dave? 800-859-0957. The greatest generation, the silent generation. 86% say that the United States should publicly support Israel. Baby boomers. What do you think the percentage of baby boomers, Dave, that participated in this poll? Uh, about 1,300 people that participate in this poll. Baby boomers. How many, uh, what percentage of baby boomers say that the United States should publicly support Israel? 40-some percent. 83%. Really? Gen X. That's got to be lower. Gen X. How many? 40, 40, 44%. Okay. 63%. Okay. The percentage of millennials and Gen Z. So that's me and people younger than me. The percentage of those people that believe we should publicly support Israel. You were right the last couple of times in the 40%. 48%. What happened between the silent generation and, and Gen Z to where we don't publicly support Israel? Mind you, I don't paint with a broad brush, but I would bet, I'd bet a mortgage payment that most of these Gen Zs, hell, most millennials, probably don't know the first thing about the conflict between Israel and 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 Gaza, I would or agree. Israel I would ag- and Palestine. I would agree with that. They have no idea. It, I mean, it is it is it is unbelievable to me. And what we what we are seeing across college campuses continues to stun. I just look. I you want to protest? You want to get out and? Wave signs around. God bless. I, it's not my thing, but you do what you want to do. Now, let me ask you this question. So what year would you say that social media became prominent in society? What year? Yeah. Uh, let's just make a nice round number and say like 2010, 11, something okay. like that. All right. But it's obviously gotten. So if all this is happening Pre-social media. Yes. You think those numbers change? You think those percentages change? I think if there is a Gen Z who gets a call about a poll asking about Israel and Palestine, they go, huh? What? They don't even know what you're talking about. They couldn't find Israel on the map. That's the thing is I am of the belief that a lot of these folks are clueless or they don't understand. And I, I equated it to a football game, Dave, yesterday. That if one player uh, punches a, 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 another player and the player who just got punched shoves them back and, and pushes them to the ground, well, who who does the referee flag? Always the second person. It, it's like that's what's happening here. It's like, well, they just punched me in the mouth. Ah, you, ah it's, you can't respond like that. Ah, Israel, ah, they, they, yeah, they are using deadly force. Really? Where were you the first 24 hours after we found out that Hamas, the terrorist group, was slaughtering people in the streets? Ah, can't respond, though. What What is this breaking news about Michigan, Dave? Let's talk about this real quick. Where are we at on this? So uh, apparently the NCAA is investigating Michigan football for alleged sign stealing. Now, sign stealing, you may ask, what is sign stealing? 
Well, according to NCAA bylaw 11.6.1, which states off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited. So what they're accusing Michigan is of is sending scouts to scout future teams on their schedule. Okay. What? So let's, for a little historical context here, Michigan is under investigation by the NCAA involving recruiting violations. During COVID. Okay. Now, these are level two violations, which means there wouldn't be a bowl ban. There wouldn't be a reduction of scholarships. It's basically like you messed up. Or I don't Maybe is there a reduction of scholarships? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not serious. It's not like a death penalty. Mm-hmm. But what Jim Harbaugh has been accused of is lying to NCAA investigators who were investigating the recruiting violations right. during COVID. And Jim Harbaugh was suspended for three games to start the year, self-imposed by the university. And the NCAA is continuing to look into this. They are unhappy to say the least that Jim Harbaugh, they claim not only lied to them, but continues to publicly maintain his innocence in lying to them. So the NCAA right now currently has a, a, as it out for Michigan, I would argue. Maybe you look at it differently. But the NCAA has it out for Michigan, and particularly Jim Harbaugh. And, Dave, let me ask you this as a sports fan. Do you think that Michigan is the only school in the country that would send somebody to an opposing opposing game and try to gain an advantage? Of course not. According to Yahoo, uh, according to this report, it says two of Michigan's opponents this season told Yahoo Sports they became aware that Michigan knew their play signs. Okay. I just, I don't have much of an opinion on this. I, I don't think this is now, anything yeah. shocking. Now, while sign stealing does not violate NCAA rules unless the team uses in-game electronic equipment to relay the information to the players on the field or coaches, the, the NCAA rulebook does address sign stealing in a general way under a section titled prohibited football equipment or perhaps prohibited field equipment. Okay, I don't so, know. I just I, I think I, this is nonsense. This is, this is I know this is kind of. I think it's absolute nonsense. Kind of weak, if you ask me. It's kind of weak. Is this like counting cards? It's frowned upon, but like, you get caught doing it, you're in trouble. If you don't get caught doing it, it's like okay. I guess. Or like pool. I don't know, Dave. You're the gambler. Is it like? Is it like counting cards? Yeah, kind of. In the fact that they they, I guess they. They don't. They don't. They don't frown upon it. They don't say that they frown upon it. They say that this is a a problem. Like you're not supposed to do this. Counting cards is not against the rules, but the casinos, if they find out you're doing it, they kick you out. Yeah, same thing. Okay, same thing. Let's go to Tom in Birmingham. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a student. I'm an honor student, actually, of uh, James Madison College, Michigan State, on the Arab-Israeli conflict. I put together the first ever. Uh, event where Arab and Jewish student organizations cooperated after I came back from the Gaza Strip and uh, Tel Aviv and throughout. And okay. Before I tell you what I think would have been a better approach, I'll admit that my uh, mother is a uh, 
a Palestinian Christian immigrant. My father is Syrian uh, Muslim, uh, mm-hmm. and then my, all of my best friends were Jewish when mm-hmm. I grew up. So as far as I'm concerned, it's like Ten Commandments, and you think yeah. I love it. You got a nice melting pot there, Tom. So I say this in all sincerity with love from both sides and with uh, absolute condemnation and, and horrif- horrified over what happened October 7th. But, you know, the body count is 10,000 to 2,000 since 2000. And I'm not going re- to I'm not going to adjudicate the past. What I sure. think Israel could have done is say, Hamas, you release all hostages, turn over all the October 7th murderers and missiles, step down from power. Uh, with Gaza and then West Bank uh, uh, internationally supervised elections, ASAP. Israel will concomitantly release um, all minors and women prisoners, as well as most men, with the exception of any that have committed or attempted murder. Then Israel uh, and fully and comprehensively lifts the blockade on Gaza, begins a serious partnership to rebuild Gaza right into a Mediterranean coastline enterprise partner mm-hmm. with all the potential oceanside uh, you know, values like Israeli cities like Eilat, uh, and uh, Hamas is given one week to comply. And what this will do is it gives an opportunity to force the population there to rise against Hamas, which is really a false leadership based on mm-hmm. deprivation and no hope. And uh, otherwise only voted in because Gazans felt there was otherwise nothing else they could do with a feckless Palestinian authority. But times are different now. And regarding the West Bank, it doesn't need to be addressed with or linked with above. But in general, the idea there is to have either Israel annex it and give all the Palestinians there uh, Israeli citizenship. All right, Tom. Tom, let me ask you this: only because I got to run. If if that if those if those uh, line items were laid out to to Hamas and to Gaza, would they have accepted that? Do you think? Possible that there could have been some movement, and then if not, at least the world says, "Look, Israel, you gave it a shot." Okay, you got to do what you got to. All do. right, Tom. I appreciate it. Good stuff. Eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. We're talking about threats potentially at home. That's coming up next. Well, our next guest has been staunch in his efforts to thwart any potential threats to the people of Oakland County. Of course, I'm talking about Sheriff Michael Bouchard. Sheriff, good to have you with us as always. Hey, my pleasure to be with you. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, you know, as as these types of incidents flare up, like we're seeing in, in, in Israel and in Gaza, um, both sides are are charged and we're seeing that in you know play out in in different ways across the country protests across college campuses in the US Capitol uh all over the place um and with that comes a heightened state of of threats towards people towards places of worship and in fact we've already seen some uh arrests in Oakland County because of this conflict when when you get something that that rolls across your desk in terms of a threat talk me through a little bit about what that process is like so first of all we have zero tolerance for any kind of threatening behavior or violence so i don't care what your situation or cause is that is completely unacceptable our first mission is to keep everyone safe and so any kind of threat towards anyone institution or otherwise person uh, we immediately investigate and determine the availability and accessibility to carry out that threat. And, the, the, you know, those kinds of things are critically important as it relates to is the threat or the verbiage used actually criminal in nature versus offensive. And that we do in conjunction with the prosecutor. But our first thing to do is to make sure that the situation is made safe, whether it's a school or house of worship or a person make sure they're safe, that facility is safe, whatever the case may be, first and foremost, then work on tracking back from there. 
we we've saw we've seen the president speak very clearly and plainly that the United States and federal agencies and intelligence officials are also keeping a track uh, uh, of these types of threatening statements made online, made to people in person, whatever it is. Obviously, uh, you, you do a lot of work with the federal government, uh, a lot of con- uh, a, a consultation. You work closely with them, with the Major County Sheriff's Association. Um, h- how important is it during these times to have an all-hands-on-deck approach? 100%. And the important part is to share information because pieces of the puzzle may not paint a picture. But the whole puzzle together paints a very different picture. And go back and look at 9-11, you know, a lot of people had pieces, people taking flight lessons, not caring about landing, people doing this and that. All of those things individually were concerning but didn't paint the full picture that this is an imminent attack. And the results of the 9-11 Commission said more information sharing among all levels state, local, federal, is critically important to prevent any future attacks. And sadly, we forget quick. There's been more and more moves in Washington and in Congress to break down some of those systems that were put in place and be less robust in information sharing. So we're we're constantly monitoring that and encouraging them to allow that and keep that as an important front line for us to share information and know what's going on. So for me in my area, it's critically important for me to hear any any kind of chatter that's going on. So I'm part of the Joint Terrorism Task Force. You know, I've got top secret clearance. I can be briefed in on things and be situationally aware that if things are in my AOR, I need to gear up resources and activities. And, and that's important. If they don't share that, you know, I don't know where to move assets or when to be on alert. How important is it also to to have um, those kind of conversations with community members, faith leaders, making sure you keep that line of dialogue open too? Hundred percent, you know, because people of faith, um, on every every kind of faith that are true leaders of faith, abhor violence. People that pervert religions in the name of violence, and it's happened pretty much by every religion across time. Those are not people of faith. They are taking a religion and perverting it for their own purpose. And so staying in touch with faith leaders of all kinds is something we do all the time. Um, I've been to pretty much every house of worship, be it synagogues or mosques or, or churches or temples, you name it. Um, I'm going uh, periodically to break bread, to talk with them and make sure we're all staying connected. Mm. Do you often notice an uptick in, in threats when big worldwide, obviously um, uh, contentious uh, uh, relationships flare up across the world. Do you, do you notice uh, an uptick in threats in Oakland County? Absolutely, absolutely. We, you know, we monitor some of that. I'm, uh, as you know, I'm very active in Major County Sheriffs of America. We have a Major County Sheriffs of America Intelligence Commander Group. Um, and we work closely with major city chiefs, intelligence commander group, and we share information. So I'm reading those threads and tracking some of the discussions and then trying to synthesize that, how it relates to Oakland County, what I may need to think about or tune into. So different things, um, you know, we'll deploy assets in a preventive fashion. And we have at a number of events already since uh, since this most recent, you know, uh, horrendous situation in in israel Mm. well it's obviously a a, a tough time but but i you have been steadfast 
in in not only your convictions but your your actions in terms of investigating whether it's a a a what would be perceived as a smaller threat or a larger threat no threat goes goes by the wayside uh certainly here in Oakland County and I know when you've got your hand in in a lot of these other situations at higher levels uh, I, I know that you are are doing your best to make sure that other people realize too that you can't overlook some of these things. Hundred percent. We'll take nothing for granted. We'd rather check out a hundred nothings and miss one real deal. But I'll also say, kind of reassuring your listeners, we have no information, no chatter, nothing about any specific threat or credible uh, situation developing as it relates to Oakland County at this time. Nothing. But having said that. We're certainly not staying diligent. Yeah, 100%. Get people up. And to the public, if you see something, say something. But outside of that, know that we're very tuned in. And if you're afraid or concerned, call us or your local police. Mike Bouchard, good stuff as always. Thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks so much. Yep, you got it. That's Mike Bouchard, the Oakland County Sheriff. Meanwhile, coming up, we'll take a break for the news. Also, one of those convicted in Donald Trump's case down in Georgia has accepted a plea deal. We'll tell you who that is coming up next on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. I got a wild story for you coming up at 318. And this is kind of a conundrum. And I'm going to want your your thoughts on this. And it's the idea of should schools ban social media or should they not and risk losing this? We'll talk about it coming up. At 318. Um, In the meantime, House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan canceled a vote today, a third vote, to try to garner 217 votes to elect him Speaker of the House. And in a potential telling move, because he canceled that vote, he's now supporting expanded authority to Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry until January. Jim Jordan lost support yesterday after a first round of votes on Tuesday. Again, you need 217. Jim Jordan actually lost support, only got garnered 199 votes yesterday. Now, Republicans apparently held a closed-door meeting at 11 o'clock this morning, and several of Jordan's detractors, critics of Jim Jordan, said that they were being threatened for not supporting Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House. And Jim Jordan has pushed back on that, saying that he doesn't he 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 doesn't uh approve of any of these threats. But none the nonetheless that's what's happening. And so I, I have been telling you that for me, the fact that Republicans just can't can't get it together and it's a bad look and now i think at least jim jordan is resigned to the fact that okay it's not me i don't have the support i don't have the votes we got to move on now does that make way for somebody like jack bergman you know somebody who's got pretty good uh, abilities to work across the aisle somebody who out of the 19 bills passed this year in the house Three of them were Jack Bourbon's legislation. You know, somebody who's got leadership experience, somebody, uh, 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 a military vet. Like, 
maybe Jack Bergman is is a guy from right here in Michigan that could be Speaker of the House. And and I I did get confirmation yesterday after reports were trickling out that that Jack Bergman was making calls to some folks. Some people close to Jack Bergman were making calls to some folks on Capitol Hill and and just gauging where they would were, would be at if his name got bandied about. And then I, I got confirmation yesterday from a source that that was true. So we will continue to watch it. But Republicans, in the meantime, they, they, they just have to get it together because work needs to be done. And currently it's not being done. Um, Joe Biden set to deliver a primetime speech tonight from the Oval Office. It'll start at eight o'clock. We will carry it for you here on WJR so you could tune in and listen. But the president is expected to address a, a number of issues. Obviously, his administration's response to the Hamas terrorist attacks against Israel. And he's also expected to talk about Russia's war in Ukraine. And I think it is, a, it is an opportunity to highlight to the American people that the United States is strong, that the United States continues to maintain their position on a lot of these fronts, like supporting Ukraine, like supporting Israel. And and again, I, I find this to be a particularly precarious time in the United States history because we could be looking at China overtaking Taiwan in the next 12 to 18 months. So I, I, I just, I think it, it's going to require very strong leadership. I think it's going to require somebody who is who is very dialed in. And I think the president has an opportunity tonight to show some strength because I, I, you know, you watch his his meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu this week in Israel and his speech. And look, I, I think he said the right things, but at the same time, there's a, a certain element of strength that needs to be there. And I, I hope that comes across tonight. You also have got detractors inside the Democratic Party that are pushing back hard on Joe Biden, particularly Rashida Tlaib. And and she has called out Joe Biden and his support of Israel and his administration's stance on Israel. And she said that she they they will those in Congress that are siding with Rashida Tlaib, siding with the Palestinian people, not condemning Hamas as a terrorist organization or as the attacks on Israel and continuing to perpetuate the 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 oppressed and continuing to talk about the apartheid and, and all that stuff. Uh, she has said that they will not forget that Joe Biden is is supporting Israel in this manner, supporting supporting Benjamin Netanyahu in this manner. And so I, I, I that is another issue that I could see. Joe Biden tackling tonight, maybe not so much on the nose, but showing how the American administration, his administration, the American people support Israel. So we'll continue to watch for that as well. Again, you'll be able to hear that speech right here on WJR starting at eight o'clock. I told you before the break that somebody who was charged, indicted in the Georgia case involving the efforts to subvert the 2020 presidential election involving Donald Trump has taken a plea deal.
Sidney Powell, the former attorney general for or a former attorney for President Donald Trump, accepted that plea deal in connection to the Georgia case. What does this mean for the ongoing legal case for Donald Trump and others that were named? WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us to take a look at exactly that. Hello, Marie. Hi, Chris. Sidney Powell pleading guilty to reduce charges in exchange for probation. She's the second defendant accused of election fraud to reach a deal with prosecutors. As part of the arrangement, she will serve six years of probation and she'll also have a fine of $6,000. But more importantly, she'll have to write an apology letter to the state of Georgia and its residents. And she's agreed to testify against her co-defendants at future trials if asked to do so. Jury selection in her trial was set to start tomorrow. Powell and the former president, along with 17 others, are accused of violating the state's anti-racketeering law. Prosecutors say Sidney Powell also participated in an unauthorized breach of elections equipment in a rural Georgia County elections office. Powell could ultimately provide background on a news conference that she participated in on behalf of Trump and his campaign shortly after the election, in which she outlined the theory of a stolen election. She would also have some insight into a White House meeting she attended in mid-December of 2019, during which prosecutors say Chris' strategies and theories to influence the outcome of the election were discussed and that is a very important thing to keep in mind that she has this inside information well and that's part of the plea deal is not only does she face six years of probation not only does she have to pay a nominal fee but she has to testify in this case and and i i think in hindsight when you look back to the wide-ranging indictments in this case it almost feels like Marine, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but correct me if I if I am. It almost feels like this was inevitable that eventually some of these folks were going to take plea deals in in with the agreements that they would be testifying in this case. I think without question, I think prosecutors cast a very wide net for that very reason. Um, I think Sidney Powell's a very important person uh, in all of this because, as you know, she was front and center in a lot of the public. Uh, action that took place, like these press conferences and so forth. She was always there, but more importantly, she was behind the scenes, and that's what prosecutors really want to get at. And also this issue that she um, uh, that she tampered with election equipment, this is a very important thing as well uh, that, that uh, she's got to face. I think one of the big questions here uh, for, for the for, as this case progresses, is Let's just hypothetically say for the sake of argument that they all knew that this was nonsense. There was no rigged election, but they were going to continue to perpetuate this. Does that make Sidney Powell a reliable witness in testimony? Does that make Sidney Powell reliable in this case? And I I think that's going to be a question that we're going to see get answered, hopefully, as this case progresses. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. We got to take a break. Do you support schools banning social media? In exchange for this, we'll talk about it next on JR Afternoon. I tell you, we we have been talking about the destructive nature of social media for a long time. And for for adults, it's just it's nothing. It's empty calories. It's 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 nonsense. 
it is vitriolic most of the time at at worst at best it provides a simple dopamine hit and and really leads to nothing else there there are very few benefits i believe to social media now with that being said social media can often be a very good form of gathering information if you don't mindlessly scroll for hours on end if you can exhibit some sort of self-control <laughs> like everything else in moderation it is okay and depending on the echo chamber that you surround yourself in again might not be that harmful but there is now some legislation in washington dc being bandied about that in exchange for a continuation of federal subsidies on on the social networks, the networks that schools use for for federal broadband subsidies, you keep that, but you got to block social media from from being able to be accessed at school on school property. Christiana Lima is with the Washington Post as a business reporter and joins us. Uh, it's good to have you. Who's leading this charge for the Republicans? Thanks so much for having me. So Senator Ted Cruz is the lead sponsor on the bill, and he is the top Republican on the Senate Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction over a lot of these issues, including both um, Internet access and these federal subsidies that are at play here. Um, as well as issues around children's online safety, which are one of the key concerns in this effort. As 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 in my mind, as sometimes destructive and time wasting as social media can be for adults, it can be particularly damaging children. Right. We've seen those those congressional testimonies uh, from from the heads of social media companies uh, after reports surfaced and investigations were done that that it, this can literally be deteriorating the health and well-being and and mental capacity of teenagers, particularly teenage girls, and how they view themselves compared to everybody else online. It, it, it can be a very dangerous place for for kids um, and, and even more so what places like China and and com- countries like that, the, the amount of information and the type of information that they feed children in those places is very different than what children maybe here in America would see. And so the idea here is what? What what is the the goal here for Ted Cruz and others with this legislation? Right. So there's a number of efforts in Washington and also in in state houses around the country to restrict or in some cases ban social media uh, for kids. There have been some federal proposals um, in Washington that would ban kids um, under 13 from accessing social media and require parental consent up to 18. Those are bipartisan efforts. So there's broad concern about this in Washington. There have been some similar measures that have actually passed at the state level. Um, But what this proposal is trying to do is to basically condition schools. and, And this is a program that, you know, is designed to provide benefits to poorer school districts. Um, for them to receive internet subsidies, things to make accessing and getting online at all more, um, to, for it to be at a discounted rate, 
So to have access to those subsidies, the school district has to ban the use of social media for kids. And, and the rationale that these lawmakers are putting forth is that the federal government shouldn't, shouldn't be footing the bill for kids to access platforms that they see as addictive and potentially harmful to kids. Yeah, harmful or, or at the very minimum distracting. And, and I, I think the, the interesting thing here that you pointed out is it, the schools that are receiving these subsidies generally are, are poorer schools in poorer school districts. I, I, I do see I kind of see both sides of the coin here. I, I do see the ability or the want to try to curtail what kids see, especially during school. You're there to learn. Let's try to learn what you do at home is different. That's your business. But but at school, we're going to try to keep this thing on the track so you can get an education. But at the same time, taking that away from school districts that legitimately need it, I, I, I see where that maybe wouldn't garner a ton of support from the Democrats. Right. This has a very politically tricky path in Washington. Uh, this program, it's called the E-Rate program that provides discounted internet pricing. It's, it's very popular among Democrats in Washington who have been very reluctant um, to dabble in any efforts to limit its scope. Um, of course, the concerns around children on social media is bipartisan, as we've alluded to. Um, and so this is appealing to some of those concerns. Uh, but it's largely been Republicans that have been leading the charge in trying to narrow the scope of the Internet subsidies program. And so they 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 uh, may not be successful in terms of getting Democrats to to sign on to this joint effort. Talk to me about about the the program and where it was created. Was this part I, I understand as part of the of the nearly two trillion dollar coronavirus stimulus package. But but in terms of the the potential of broadening this, the, the I, I I I see that some on the left are are you, you mentioned how important they they view this program. Is there a potential of expanding this? While maybe those on the right, Ted Cruz and others, are are looking to curtail it. Yeah, so there's a couple programs actually that this would impact. One was passed as a part of one of the coronavirus stimulus package that Congress passed, um, I believe on a bipartisan basis in, in 2021. Uh, but the other that I mentioned, E-Rate, um, mm -hmm. has been around for longer. And that is one that uh, is currently, uh, actually just today, the Federal Communications Com Commission um, took a step towards expanding the program so that it would also uh, offer eligibility for schools trying to get internet access to be uh, cheaper for buses. Um, and this is an effort that, as you alluded to, Senator Cruz and some other uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill have expressed concern about, in part because they feel it's duplicative with some other efforts to provide these subsidies. Uh, interesting stuff. Christiana Lima with The Washington Post. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I, I want to hear from you. Is this something that you would be in favor of? 800-859-0957. I think this is, this is a bit of a a fine line to walk. You know, kids are supposed to be in school to learn. Kids are supposed to be in school to to get an education. And if you want to maintain your subsidy as as one of a a, a a a poorer district to keep that that network subsidy, you got to block this. Now that can be troubling because 
if there are schools that don't receive that subsidy, well, then there's no incentive to block social media and there could be a, a disparity in education there. But are you in favor of the federal government mandating that in order to receive federal money, a federal subsidy, you must block social media in schools? Or are you on the side of live and let live? These kids are, they are responsible for themselves to a certain extent, right? If you're, I I don't know what the age we should consider. I mean, if you're in fourth, fifth grade, I mean, and you're on social media at school, you shouldn't be. And you you probably know that. And I, I, I think a lot of this also is very involved in parents. We'll talk about it more next. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Would you be in favor of school districts keeping their federal subsidies for, for Internet services, network services, but they've got to block students from accessing social media? Or do you feel like students should be able to access social media in school I mean, for me, I I don't believe that that's beneficial for students, not in school. You want to go home, you want to Snapchat, you want to get on TikTok, you want to go on Instagram. That's your business outside of school. The school has nothing to do with that. Inside school, you should be at least somewhat focused on on learning. Uh, I didn't have social media in school. Dave, I know you didn't have social media in school, but you're still able to find other ways to to distract yourself. But I, I, I think it's an unneeded and unwa- unnecessary distraction. But I think taking away these federal subsidies for the poor districts, it's particularly troubling. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Uh, we talked the other day, Dave, about Halloween decorations. And if you are okay with more of the graphic Halloween decorations that are out there. There was that house in Dallas Mm -hmm. that is just, they are, it is some of the goriest and very lifelike Halloween decorations. I'm all for it. Like, I believe there were some limbs, a pile of limbs next to a wood chipper, and the wood chipper was firing pieces of limb into a pile across the walkway. I like, house. I like it. I like it. It's very graphic. House. I like it. You like it. You're yeah, on board. I'm all good. I'm all. I'm all for it. I think it's a little excessive. Yeah. I you, think if you want to do something like that inside your house, that's your prerogative. I think outside your house is a little much. You don't personal. Do you put the? Uh, do you put those giant? Uh, you know, inflatable <laughs> uh, monsters. Dave, on I your want you to home? answer that question. Do you think I put inflatable I'm things outside my house? I'm going to say you don't. But my brother is all about it. Okay. Inflatable I do ghosts and uh, no. Jack-o'-lanterns and I don't think else. I'll ever have anything like that in my front yard. I think Danielle's into that. Danielle, are you into that? The, are you the, into the, the inflatable uh, things inflatable, in your front yard? Inflatable decorations in your front yard for Halloween? No. Oh, I thought you were. No, Renee is, though. Oh, I, Renee. I, Renee I, I've seen hers. Okay. she got scary ghosts and stuff. Yeah, no, that's not my thing. Here's what I used to do a long time ago is I used to play, you know, scary music. And then when the kids would come, jump out of the bushes at them. With a real chainsaw. Not with a real chainsaw, no. You're a sicko. I used to have like the, uh, you know, the Freddy Krueger uh, claw. Good God. And just jump out. It's, it's Halloween. It was, come on. They're children, Dave. 
They enjoyed it. There's like a four-year-old that just passes out <laughs> on Dave's pass, front no, porch. Nobody passed out. In, in my neighborhood, they put um, uh, this couple, they had like a bunch of adopted kids, right? They're kind of creepy. And they put a haunted house on their front lawn and in their driveway every single year. Okay. And so I'm just a little kid. It's three blocks away. I'm, I can walk there any night of the week. So I would just walk there and hang out. And then one year, my bur- my brother's friend uh, started working there. My brother didn't tell me. And this guy, when I tell you he ran the three blocks all the way to my house with me, he yeah. did. Chase the chainsaw the whole way. Oh I my screamed. god! My mom let him in the house. I said, <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst day of my life. And Danielle still will not do yard work because of that. <laughs> no, that very reason. That's exactly why. I want to enter this into the mix. Police are investigating in North Carolina after a man's body was mistaken for a Halloween decoration in front of a house and he was left there for days, even getting mowed around by a landscaping crew. (laughs) I don't know if that's quite the reaction I was looking for. (laughs) You should. Uh, This is a horrible story, but... You can't help but laugh at the absolute stupidity. A- exactly. The stupidity. This guy died a couple of days ago. Uh, according to a police report so on October left, 10th. They just left him out on the front lawn. Police received a port of a dead body at an abandoned log cabin in China Grove, North Carolina. When they got there, they found the body of 34-year-old Robert Owens. During the investigation... Police learned that a groundskeeper saw the body the day before while he was mowing the grass, but believed the body to be a fake dummy used for training and numerous law agencies on the property over the last few years and did not report it. Somebody else thought it was a Halloween decoration. That is unbelievable. You should be able to tell the difference between a real life uh, dead body, a real life corpse and a, and a, and a fake body. You know, Halloween prop. If you've never seen a dead body before, you might not know. Come on. Also, I just want to point out this is North Carolina, so it's kind of adding up just a little bit. Well, it's not Florida. It's not Florida, but it's close enough. Um, According to police, Owen's sister said, I don't know how you can do that. Mow right beside someone and assume they're a Halloween decoration at a house no one lives at. Uh, An autopsy was conducted. There were no signs of assault or trauma. And now they're waiting for the results of an autopsy and a toxicology report to determine the cause of death. He was walking home from the bar. He passed out. The rest is done. He had a heart attack, aneurysm, falls down in front of this abandoned house. People think it looks yucky. Well, it's not abandoned if they're mowing the lawn, right? If if no one lives at the house, how do they have groundskeepers? Well, somebody's got to take care of it, I guess. The city. Maybe. Mm. city doesn't care about dead people. Apparently not. Don't go to China Grove or wherever this is. Um, I guess he's lucky that he didn't run over the body. Okay, yeah. I mean, mean, to mow over a body, then he would have known it was real. Okay, I mean, yeah. I suppose that's true. It's very dark, Dave. Not, not, there's nothing dark about it. It's very logical. Okay. I like where his head's at, actually. Okay, great. Um, 
I just, have... just put the mower up a little bit. You know how you can adjust oh the level? God. I'm s- <laughs> sorry. I'm s- <laughs> he's, sorry. He's going somewhere with this. I like it. No, that wasn't dark. <laughs> so Sidney Powell was taking a plea deal in this case in Georgia. I don't know a good transition for that. Sidney Powell has taken a plea deal in this Georgia case. I wonder, just wonder, if this was all part of the plan the whole time. You cast the wide net knowing that potentially you're not gonna you're not gonna nail everybody. But if you're able to plea him down, you know, Sidney Powell's not gonna do any jail time. She's gonna do six years of probation. She's got to pay a little money. But she's got to testify now against the others, namely Donald Trump. And it, it does, to a certain extent, feel like Fannie Willis cast that wide net so that you could have an opportunity like this to flip somebody and use them as leverage or use their testimony as leverage against other against others charged in this case, namely Donald Trump. Got to take a break. More next. All right. Welcome back. Good to have you. Steve Courtney joins us. Hello, Stephen. Chris, what's happening there, laddie? I'm just gearing up for another exciting weekend of football. Does this feel like a rivalry weekend to you? I mean, I, mm. I think this is a very underrated rivalry game across college football. I mean, to me, this is just as good as Red River. This is just as good as the Iron Bowl. I mean, this is just as good as darn near every, ever, ever, any rivalry in college football. And it's just this, and look, Michigan State's down, we know, but there's just not a lot of juice around it. It's not too often uh, in this backyard brawl um, that we come across this scenario uh, where a team is fighting it a little bit and the other comes in, well, quite frankly, number two in the nation. Uh, but still, you know, that being said, um, it is Michigan State, Michigan at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody knows that more uh, than everybody involved in that Michigan State locker room. Yeah, Has it been a difficult season? Oh, yes, it has been. Um, but again, uh, and I don't want to be cliche. Chris, you've known me a while. That's not my nature. But you truly throw away the records, and you just go out there, you tee it up, and you play. I know that, uh, you know, obviously this is not the season that the Spartans had envisioned. And, and you know, those two games to start the year, things were looking up. Things took a different turn than many of us were expecting. And, you know, some some rough performances in finishing games came back to bite the Spartans the last few weeks. What is, I think... Important to remember in this rivalry, and yes, you throw away the 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 records, but there's still a lot of pride in that Spartan locker room. And whether or not they finish the year with three wins, four wins, five wins, six wins, whatever. If if they well, were to beat Michigan and go, you know, three and and nine, not the season you wanted, but if you were to beat number two Michigan when they are, you know, en route to a national title potentially, eh, it, would, it would turn your season around. It would I make think. all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, uh, as it applies to this Michigan State team. Uh, what transpired in Piscataway last Saturday 
it's on them. Players make plays. Yeah. And the special teams full pause can't have it. Two weeks in a row or two games in a row. Well, and, you know, aside from that, what went down with their former head coach, that's all on him. Sure. And so, um, you know, we'll see. But the, the, the plot certainly does thicken. Yeah, let's talk about James Harbaugh. Uh, this is crazy. The NCAA is investigating uh, Michigan's football program amid allegations of sign stealing. Uh, here's the quote. The university is fully cooperating with the Big Ten and NCAA. Uh, at the University of Michigan, we are committed to the highest ethical and integrity standards for all members of our community. Uh, the University of Michigan and the Big Ten were both notified by the NCAA of the investigation yesterday, and the conference said it had notified the Wolverines' future opponents. Now, to take it a step further, uh, here's the deal. Uh, the NCAA prohibited in-person scouting of opponents way back in 1994. Uh, but sources said Michigan has allegedly sent personnel to games to try to glean play signals from future opponents. Um, sign stealing, as it turns out, is not technically an NCAA violation, but using staff or other assigned personnel to attend games would be against the rules. So I... <laughs> Let me put my uh, tinfoil hat on as Ken Brown joins us. Yes, right. Um, Jim Harbaugh is under investigation by the NCAA. Level two recruiting violations, but they maintain that he lied. And when you lie to NCAA investigators, well, that's now a big boy infraction. That's a level one. And so there was reportedly a deal on the table that would have kept him on off the sidelines for four weeks. They apparently turned it down. Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel and those inside the athletic department said, we're going to do a self-suspension of three games. That was the beginning of the season. But the NCAA investigation to that matter continues. They're pissed that Harbaugh lied, Well, is what they maintain. And there's not going to be a resolution to what you're discussing until 2024. Correct. Which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, well, me. they need all the time they can have to, to, to get to the bottom of this very pressing matter. Then... Now, apparently Michigan is the only team in college football that might be sending people to to stadiums to steal signs. This is this is nonsense. I, I don't know how you find the burden of proof. I don't know I don't know how you would single out Michigan and say they're doing it. In essence, what they're saying here, hypothetically, is that Michigan sent a staff to watch an Indiana game. Yeah. To try and s- steal their signals. Prior to playing Indiana, you, you, you understand? Indiana. That, right. Not Georgia. I mean. Not Ohio State. But now what is the due diligence here? How do you prove? I don't know. Because I don't think, and this is hypothetical, I don't think Michigan would send somebody <laughs> under these circumstances in full-blown Michigan garb. You're telling me Jim Harbaugh didn't send uh, Sharon Moore a, a notarized letter to Go to Bloomington and watch a game. So, like, what do they have? They intercepted emails. Okay, here's what Indiana does in long yardage situations via the pass game. They'll hold up a poster sized picture of Abe Vigoda. <laughs> I don't. I don't I understand. T- I don't know how you proved this. I don't know, but this feels like this is the this is this is Custer's last stand. This is the the last hurrah of the NCAA. They are making Michigan and Jim Harbaugh target, my opinion, 
And I don't I don't think that they're going to be able to to make much hay of this. Before we get to Ken Brown, let me just say this. Uh, this conversation brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Forward down the field, the W's are stacking up, aren't they? And winged wheelers are playing some good hockey. My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their TrueView inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Kenny, you want to utter a few I syllables? I just got a feeling that the forces that be are trying to drive Harbaugh out of college back to the pros. I agree. So this, you know how they probably got this uh, tip? There was a Michigan license plate in the Indiana parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Without the tabs on it. I mean, come on, man. What are, what are we doing here? I don't know, man. What are we doing here? I don't know. Hey, it really? doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I'm with Steve. I, I If you... If you're going to make these kind of allegations, you better have that notarized letter. Well, Otherwise, I don't know how you prove this. But you just said it wasn't even a violation, though, right? So what are they going to do if, if it was true? No, uh, stealing signals is technically not an NCAA right. violation. Sending personnel to an opponent's game to do just that is. Well, they better have a, a receipt, you know, one of those saying. receipts to come back for mileage and everything. They better have something but, like oh, Chris that. Partridge was yeah. at a Chick-fil-A he, in Bloomington. He, right. He turned in a voucher for for gas mileage to Indiana and, and for exclusive scouting. Here's the bill for the <laughs> film that I yeah. used over at Photomat. Yeah, I the, mean, the come on, man. What are we doing yeah. here? The NCAA is a ridiculous word. What are we doing yep, here? I agree. What do we got coming up today? What are we doing? A lot of... A lot of interesting things coming. That's right. We talked to some people from Israel. We're going to talk to uh, Nolan Finley. We're going to talk to Lee Thomas. We're going to talk to a reporter from um, Fox about the speaker battle that's still going on now that will probably be solved like Christmas. Apparently, Republicans now are on not on board with McHenry getting expanded powers. We'll see. I, I don't know. It's an it's an absolute mess. All right, we're talking Michigan I want State. You to do it. Michigan Chris tomorrow. It's speaker. very exciting. No, thank you. See you tomorrow. Same time, same place.